on June 17, 1812. Not 2012, 1812. A young married couple, just married uh, for about two weeks, um, walked onto a boat in Massachusetts and started their missionary journey halfway around the world to a country called Burma, which is now modern-day Myanmar. If you don't know where, that's, where, that, where that is on the map, it's kind of nestled between Bangladesh and, and Thailand, just east of India. And they went on that boat for a mission. You see, Adoniram and his wife, Anna, both around 25 years old, had a, a, a deep desire and a deep love for their Savior and a deep love for the lost. And so they, had, they went to Burma with one mission in mind, and that was to plant one church with 100 people and to translate God's word into the Burmese language. History would remember them, as we do today, as the trailblazers and pioneers of the modern missionary movement, along with William Carey. But their noble goal came at great expense. And perhaps no better uh, echoed and foreshadowed than Irenaeum's um, proposal in a letter that he wrote to Anne's father, John Hasselton. I'm going to read from Courtney Anderson's biography at Adoniram and Anna. It's called the Golden, To the Golden Shore. And so this is now Adoniram asking for Anne Anne's hand in marriage, writing a letter to her father, foreshadowing the great price they would have to pay in order to complete this mission. Listen to Adoniram's words. He writes, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this, in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of Jesus, who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion, and the glory of God, can you consent to all this? In hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from the unbelievers who are yet to believe through her means, or another way of saying it, through your daughter's ministry, from eternal woe and despair. Now, to the, all the fathers in the place this morning who has a young, young daughter who spent your energy, your time, and your resources keeping your daughter safe, educating her, preparing her for the life to come. Imagine a young, bright-eyed boy knocking on your door, asking for her hand in marriage, and putting forth a proposal like this. 
what would your response be? Well, John wrestled with this. His wife wrestled with this. They were honest. They say, Anne, we don't want you to go. This is too big a price to pay. You're not going to be safe. Matter of fact, one of John's friends told him, if that was my daughter, I would tie her to her bedpost, then let her go on a harebrained scheme like this. But thanks be to God that John and his wife had a greater vision. And it was a mission of the kingdom of heaven. And so they resigned to let Anne make up her own decision. And after wrestling with prayer and prayer, Anne wrote to her friend Lydia and said this, Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God and his providence shall see fit to place me. And so they had a goal, and they went. They suffered much. But at the end of their lives, they achieved their goal. And more than that, they exceeded it. They didn't just plant one church, but God, by his providence and by his grace, was pleased to bless their missionary endeavors. And so it wasn't just one church, but a hundred churches they planted in their lifetime. Not just a hundred members, but 8,000 members. And matter of fact, today there are 4,000 Baptist church that trace their roots to the ministry of Adoniram and Anna. That's right, 4,000 with half a million followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in Buddhist, uh, Buddhist Burma today. Matter of fact, outside of the United States and India, Myanmar has the third largest amount of Baptists in the world. So the question for us this morning is this, what would motivate two 20-year-olds to leave a life of safety and security for the perils and dangers of a missionary life? Well, I think one answer to get us started can be found in a quote that says this, ships are more safe in the harbor, but ships are not designed for the harbor. They're built for the open seas. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask that you would open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35. And as you open up there, I want to ask you to wrestle with this thought here. If we are to live bold lives with one heart and one mission, as we've been thinking over the last weeks together, if we are to live bold lives sharing the transforming life and love of Jesus, we must do two things. We must go where Jesus goes and see as Jesus sees. Let's look at, let's start here in verse 35, and we're going to be reading to the first verse of chapter 10. Matthew tells us, And Jesus went throughout all the cities, cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he, Jesus, called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and affliction. This is the word of the Lord. And so we must go where Jesus goes. We must see as Jesus sees. Verse 35 tells us that Jesus went out to all the cities and to all the villages and to all the synagogues in the region of Galilee. That was around 200 cities and villages. Around 3 million people who resided in that area. And Jesus went to them. And what was his assessment of the human condition? Well, verse 36 tells us he saw people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word harassed in the original language means to be like literally skinned, filleted. Like an uh, animal coming and attacking a sheep. Consuming it and then discarding the remains. And so this is Jesus' assessment of the human condition. Now, if Jesus were to walk our streets, the streets of Boca Raton, I know no one walks in our cities, but maybe he'd drive in our cities. If Jesus were to sit in our coffee shops, sit in our boardroom meetings, or maybe kick up his feet in our living rooms, what, if, what would be his assessment of South Florida? What would be his assessment of our condition? I believe it would be the same. He would see great need because there are sheep without a shepherd. And so therefore the church, collectively speaking, needs to have influence and presence everywhere. In every corner of our city. In every home. In every business. Why? Why does the church of Jesus Christ collectively need to be everywhere? Because there are great needs everywhere. And so you might be saying, Tim, okay, I'm, I'm with you at this point. But I can't be everywhere. I'm limited. And so let me make this really applicable to your situation. You do not, as an individual, need to be everywhere. But if you take serious the mission of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to be somewhere. You need to be somewhere. So do you hear the voice of Jesus as the shepherd of your soul calling you out into the mission field? Do you sense him activating you, calling you to serve people who are in great need? So Tim, where do I start? Well, it's simple. Start where you're at. Listen to Anna's words. She was wrestling with this big call 
this amazing opportunity to go halfway around the world, and she realized God's hand of providence over the situation. She heard the voice of a shepherd saying, go, I'll be with you, and her answer was a resounding yes. And though Anne sacrificed so much for the kingdom, see how much more the Lord has blessed her. She lost three of her children early in her life because of the hardships of living in that country. But see the millions of sons and daughters that God has blessed her with through her ministry. When her father put her on that boat that day, that was the last day he would see his daughter. And so in essence, the, the, the words foreshadowed by Adonira and his proposal became true. For today, as we gather in this place, they gather in the throne room of heaven celebrating the marvelous work that God has done in and through her life. And God is receiving glory and praise. And so what about you? God is just asking you to start what he has placed you. And not just be passively present in your life. You see, many people go through life passively present. They, they go through the motions. They, they just show up to work. They show up in their family lives. They're not connected. They're disconnected. They're only passively there. They're, they're not engaged. They're apathetic. And some people who are passively present in life are many times downright mean. We know people like that, right? you know for a fact that you do not matter to them. And so they're just passively present. But not so for the people of God. God is calling us to be not passively present in our lives and the places that he puts us, but to be faithfully present. To be engaged. To be emotionally available. To bring the life and love of Jesus and see the transformation as the Spirit of God uses our lives as a witness to the kingdom of heaven. And so, let me put it this way. You're, as you think about the impact that your life makes, you're probably not going to cure cancer. Right? You're probably not going to do that. But you can hold a hand of a friend and drive her to chemo. You're probably not going to end civil unrest. Right? There's a lot of that these days, right? In our cities, in our nation, in the world. So you're probably not going to end civil unrest. But what you can do is cross the street to your neighbor and befriend them. And get to know them. Even get to know their name and check up on them. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Remember we used to do that? We were really good at that when we were kids. Remember you used to go to the playground and you would just go up to another kid and say... Hey, you want to be my friend? And they were like, yeah. And then you just have fun. Remember those days? What changed about us? Why, why are we passively present in our communities, in our work, in our cities, in our world? God is calling us to have great gospel impact, but we must Use our lives to be faithfully present. And so you probably won't become an international ministry. Maybe you will. But probably majority of us won't. 
But what you can do is share the bad news and good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a friend. You, you see, you don't need to light up the whole world. But what you can do is light up your corner of it. And it starts with small steps of faithfulness and going in obedience where God leads you. And so go where Jesus goes, but also see as Jesus sees. Verse 36, it tells us that Jesus saw the crowds. He saw the multitudes. He saw that they were harassed and helpless. And then he had what upon them? What was his reaction to their condition? He had compassion upon them. So let's double click just for a moment on that word compassion. The people of God, Spanish River, are called to be the most compassionate people in South Florida. But we must understand what Jesus means, what Matthew means when he describes Jesus' response to the helplessness and her, the harassed nature of the cities that he went to. And it's more than just becoming caring for other people, even though it entails that. It, it's... It entails being concerned about people's condition, but it's more than that. For us to really understand the word compassion, let's break it up into its parts. We have a root word, and it's, it started with a prefix. Remember those days? Remember English 101, right? And so C-O-M is the prefix, and it means what? What does the word C-O-M mean? All right, Spanish speakers, we need you. All right? C-O-N means what in Spanish? With. Con. With. The same Latin, right? So C-O-N means with. So, so with passion. So now let's seek to understand a biblical idea of the word passion. Well, we've lost, to be honest, we've lost the significance in the, the original thrust of that word. Today we think of passion as being interest. Or maybe desire or uncontrollable emotions. Now let's put that on the shelf just for a moment. In about four months, we're going to be gathering for, for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to get together the week before that, the Sunday before that. And that's Palm Sunday. And, and then the Friday after Palm Sunday is Good Friday, right? And what has the church called that week? For thousands of years, we call that Passion Week. Have you ever heard of that week, that week referred to as Passion Week? Right? So when we say Passion Week, the, the events leading up to the resurrection, or the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are we talking about the things that Jesus were interested in? Or Jesus' desires or his uncontrollable emotions? Is that the significance of Passion Week? No, matter of fact, if memory serves me right, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, right at the moment that he's betrayed. And what was his prayer? Being transparent before God, he says, Lord, if there's any way, allow this cup to pass for me. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in going to the cross. He didn't have an uncontrollable emotion to go to the cross. So what is the significance of the word passion. And why have we as a church uh, historically used that word to describe the weeks leading up to the death, betrayal, and resurrection of Jesus? The word passion in the original language means suffering. And so for Passion Week, we are remembering everything that Jesus suffered in order to fulfill his calling, which was to redeem the world 
and offer us as a beautiful offering to his father. You see, Jesus is willing to suffer. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so, biblically, the word compassion means to suffer with others. To fear their pain, to sit with people in their grief. Years ago, I was mentoring a group of college students, and I would take them every summer to Atlanta, and we, we would live in a homeless shelter for, for women and their children. And we would go there. We would be kind of like um, staff for a week. We help run the kids' program. And, and one of the things that were, is unique about this experience is the, the leader of that, the pastor who oversaw that ministry said, part of what you're going to be doing every morning is waking up and sitting with a homeless mom and her child as they start their day. I'm like, oh, okay, we, we can do that. All right, and then what I want you to do, and he's talking to the entire team, he says, what I want you to do as you sit down with this, this mother is to ask open-ended questions. And she's probably not going to want to talk to you because she doesn't know who you are. But this is an opportunity for us to show hospitality and care for these mothers. And, and Tim, he looked at me, he goes, Tim, you're the pastor, right? You're going to want to fix the situation as, as she maybe opens up, but you don't do that here. You sit and you listen. And you ask more open-ended questions. So we're like, okay, this is a little different, but we, we can do it. So we wake up 6 in the morning, brush our teeth, ready to go at 6.30, sitting at a table. We've got our Cheerios, right, our fruit, fruit Loops, our powdered eggs, and we sit down. And, and I sit down next to a mom, and I, I introduce myself. And after kind of making some small talk, I'm like, okay, open-ended question, open-ended question. Um, how long have you been living here? At that point, she got a little defensive, like, oh, he's going to ask me. Like, I'm just trying to get my daughter ready for the day. But she wanted to be polite, so she goes, well, I've been here about eight months. And I'm like, okay, open-ended question, open-ended question. Uh, what do you think is the most important thing you've learned living here? And I remember she's feeding her child and trying to get ready with her day, but she's like, okay, this, she's had pity on me. She's like, this guy's trying. Um, so she said, you know what? And she looked at me, and her countenance changed. She said, what I've learned is I can't trust anyone. I have to do this myself. I can't rely on anyone. If I'm going to get myself and my daughter out of this, I have to do it myself. And you saw that, the, like, the stress and the anxiety, flare and anger and hurt, all that whirlwind of emotions flaring up in her shoulders. And she looks at me and she goes, I'm sorry. She said, what's really happening right now is like my best friend just got placed in her home and she was the only friend I had here. And now I, I'm reminded of what it's like the first day I got here. I have no one. I'm alone. And I'm scared. And I'm like eating my fruit loops like I want to jump in, right, and minister. But I just keep listening. I don't say anything. I just sit there and I, I look at her. I listen. And she said, you know what? I never really answered your question honestly. I'm like, at this point, I'm like, what was the question? 
because you didn't you asked me what I learned here and what I, I learned here is that God is faithful to me God's been faithful to my daughter and I can think of where I could have been right now if it wasn't for the people who welcomed me here all that because I asked a question and I sat in the awkward silence interested in her response David Osberger says this in his book caring enough to hear and be heard he says this being heard is so close to being loved that to the average person they are indistinguishable Being heard is so close to being loved that the average person can't tell the difference. See, this is what the, apostle, the, the, the gospel writer Matthew was communicating to us. Of the ministry of Jesus that he would leave heaven, come to earth, to add to himself a human form, go through the grief and pain that we all suffer and sit with us and care for us. You see, Jesus is not a shepherd who watches us from afar. But he's emotionally connected to us. And Jesus enters into our suffering and he sits with us and visits with us. And he says to us, I am here with you. You are not alone. I am going nowhere. We are going to get through this. Because Jesus is a compassionate shepherd. And so Jesus says, I sit with you in your suffering. I connect with you in your pain. I sympathize with your weakness. But I'm going to be a good shepherd that would lead you to greener pasture. And so in this passage, we see here a call to action. Jesus tells his disciples who are sitting right next to him and says, You see, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you know what the central theme of Jesus' ministry is? It's summed up in one word that Jesus used 55 times alone in the, Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, and that is the word kingdom. Jesus is a king, and through his ministry has ushered in a kingdom. We just sang about it, didn't we? Every knee shall bow and sing and all hail the name of King Jesus. That is what Jesus is about. He has ushered in a better kingdom and he is inviting us to be kingdom builders. And so God, through his ministry in our lives, redeeming us, equips us to go out to the hurt and to the harass and to show them a better way. And not just a better way, but a better person. A king who says, my kingdom come and is built not by me sacrificing the lives of other people, but I'm a different king. I'm a king who sacrificed myself for the sake of my sheep. A better way. A better person. And so we are kingdom builders. God has gifted us, equipped us, so that we can both witness and serve. So we can proclaim the good news of the kingdom but then back it up with tangible acts of love and service. And that's what we call here at Spanish River, finding your kingdom platform. And not only finding it, but then standing on it. Identifying the, the gifts that God has given you, and then use the platform that he gives you, not to be passively present, but faithfully present, in, present intentional to build his kingdom in the areas that God has placed you. 
I want to share an example, a story, Julia's story. Julia Yetman is a member of our church, and she has found her kingdom platform, and God is doing some amazing things through her and her team. Let's watch Julia's story. So it's been quite some time since I've been doing anything with the church voluntarily. I've decided, you know what, Lord, it's time something changes. I know that there is something else out there for me. So I decided that Kingdom Platform was the time for me to figure out where God would have me to go. Kingdom Platform training uh, was just a weekend-long thing. I could remember that Tim said, Pastor Tim said, you know, the Lord's going to give you some words. Ex you know, tell us what those words are, you know, what you think your Kingdom Platform is. And mine happened to be building houses. And I was like, I wonder what building houses means. Because I could take that in a couple of different respects, either spiritually building houses personally on the inside or building houses out there physically. So with that, he told me that not only with foster care and fam team, that there was this new platform coming out called Care Portal. Care Portal is an online platform that social workers use to help keep families together. There is a child that is in need of a bed or a crib. Care Portal is there to let the community know, businesses know, that there is a family that is in need. We want to keep them together. We don't want to take those children out of that home and put them in foster care because we can't provide a bed or a crib for them. But not only that, Care Portal is also meeting some spiritual needs in the community too. One story that comes to mind in regards to the spiritual needs that Care Portal has provided for me, I met a woman on Facebook. Her name is Paula. And she was selling everything in her home. So I went to visit her to see what it was that I could acquire from her. But when I met her and asked her why she was selling her furniture, she told me she had to because she's in renal failure and she has a lot of medical bills that she has to pay for. Her and I connected and she invited me for tea. And so I've been going and having tea with her and talking to her about the love of Jesus and She's amazed at why I still even go visit her because we've never known each other before. So it's just a great opportunity not only to share Jesus physically with her, just the fact that I get to sit with her and show her that is blowing her away. Paula's just doing okay. She is at 6% kidney function, so she's in desperate need. She really doesn't have belief in God yet, but um, we're working on that. So I know that the Holy Spirit is working in her life right now. So we just gather together every week and we have tea and we talk. God is using Care Portal in an amazing way to meet physical needs. He's using me to do that. I'm completely amazed by that but also the spiritual needs of those that are in need, like Paula, for example. And again, I'm just blown away by how God is using me to write his story in somebody else's life. And I look forward and can't wait to see how the story continues. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. See, that's what it looks like to be faithfully present in our community. So we started, since we started Care Portal, we've been able to serve 12 families that have 32 children. We've been able to provide 12 beds, four dressers, clothes, furniture, and so much more. Because people are living with intention. 
It's not just Julia. It's a team of people around her who want to be faithfully present in our community. And so if you want to get off the sidelines, Jesus tells us what it takes. He tells his disciples to pray earnestly. That God would raise up workers to be sent out into the harvest field. To pray earnestly. What does it mean to pray earnestly? It means to pray. And then pray. And pray. And pray. And once you've done all that, to pray, to pray some more. Go to sleep. Rinse and repeat. Pray earnestly. You see... The problem is with us is that we think that prayer is a part of the Christian life. It's like a checkbox check thing, right? Done that, I'm good to go. But Jesus is telling us that prayer is not a part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It, what, what oxygen is to your lungs is what prayer is to your spirit. And so we pray without ceasing. We pray with earnest, praying, Lord, there's so much hurt. There's so many people who are harassed. Lord, I want to be faithfully present. I might, have been, might not have been problem, part of the problem, but Lord, I want to be part of the solution. Lord, use me. Send me. Or you go, I go. Lord, as you see, I want to see. And as you live life with that intention, you're going to see God do some amazing work. Work of transformation and renewal, not only in the lives of the people that you get to minister to, but even your own. Because Jesus is a good shepherd. He left heaven, the safety of security of sitting on the throne. He went out into the mission field of this world to save us from our sin, which brings death, disintegration. Spiritually, relationally, physically, and our sin eventually brings forth eternal separation from the love and mercy of God. The bad news gets worse. Like, there's no amount of good works that we can do to put ourselves back into a right relationship with God. But the good news of the gospel tells us that what we cannot do for ourselves, Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, accomplished it. By living a perfect life, by being betrayed, being nailed upon the cross, and the Father being pleased to take our sin and put it upon Jesus and punish Jesus instead of us. And after he hung on that cross, he died and was placed in a tomb. And after three days, the Spirit of God rose his body back to new life. And that is our hope. That God can bring light in the midst of our darkness. God can bring life in the midst of our death. God can bring forgiveness even to our darkest recesses of our soul. Because he is faithfully present. And if you've never come to a point of coming into a saving relationship with God, my name is Timothy and I want to introduce you to a Savior who created you and loves you. And is calling you to himself. Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, send your spirit now to your people. Renew our hearts, renew our minds, renew our souls, Lord. Give us a greater kingdom perspective. 
Help us to be faithfully present in our world, Lord. There is so much need and there is so much hurt, Lord. People who harass, people who are helpless, Lord. Give us the boldness to introduce them to a shepherd who loves them and cares for them. Jesus, we raise higher name this morning because it is in your matchless name we pray.